Ever wondered how crucial a support system can be during life's toughest moments? Or how someone can navigate kidney cancer smack in the middle of a pandemic? Hi, and welcome to Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, the podcast by the Kidney Cancer Association, diving deep into the raw stories of kidney cancer patients and survivors. I'm Anna Maria Scotcha, your guide through the real, unfiltered experiences that often go untold. Our guest, Tracy Pornier, not only tackled the reality of a rare cancer, but did so while the whole world grappled with the chaos of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, Tracy shares the challenges of treated cancer during a lockdown and the lasting effects we don't talk enough about. Tracy also gets real about life after surgery, delving into how intimacy changes and why communication is the glue for rebuilding connections. And beyond her own journey, she's been a champion for breaking down barriers and building bridges in the cancer community. Maybe, just maybe, by sharing these experiences, we'll find new ways to make mental health care more accessible for those impacted by cancer, no matter their stage, no matter their type, no matter their diagnosis. Stick around for a conversation that's not just about one person, but invites us all into the collective cancer experience. Tracy, I know we've known each other for the last three years and we're pretty close, but I would love it if, so thank you for coming on the show and talking to me about the collective cancer experience, but I would love it if you can introduce yourself to the lovely listeners. Um, I'm Tracy Pornier and I am 50 years old. I was uh, diagnosed back in February, 2020 when I developed COVID pneumonia. And so I was um, sent to the ER when they ran my labs, they saw that my D-dimer was uh, high, really elevated. And at that time during COVID pneumonia, um, they were noticing that a majority of folks who were coming in um, with similar symptoms as myself, their D-dimer was high, but our local um, ER decided to you know, take a chance and go ahead and send me in for CT to rule out um, embolism. And so I was sent in for CT. And when I was in there, I, I instantly knew something was a little more serious than COVID pneumonia, which seems odd, because that was a very serious diagnosis, you know, on its own. So um, as you can imagine, back in December, 2020, I was completely alone. My husband was not allowed to go with me. He couldn't ride in the, um, ride uh, to the ER with me. He couldn't see me. There were absolutely no visitors. Um, so I was confused because they kept saying something about the left side. And I was like, Oh no, my lung, my left side. Um, and what it actually ended up revealing was a, at the time, seven and a half centimeter tumor on my left kidney. So fast forward today, um, I was, uh, diagnosed officially after uh, my full nephrectomy with, Oh, I apologize. I forgot to mention this. Um, so I'm leaving out parts of the story. Um, at that time, they already thought I was mystetic because mm. I had lesions, uh, appear on my scan, um, on my lungs. Um, they, I don't know that they necessarily, uh, related ground glass nodules at that time with 
um, COVID. I don't think yeah. that that was a common thing they saw, but I could be wrong. I, but that's in the impression that I, that I got. Um, so how I was told how I, uh, that I had a tumor was, um, much later, um, in the week after I had gone through my treatments for COVID pneumonia, um, a doctor came in and said, did anyone tell you about the tumor on your left kidney? And I was like, no, nobody told me. Um, so we walked over to the chalkboard or the, the board and wrote down the name of an oncologist that was, um, and a nephrologist that was coming to see me, a surgeon, uh, later on in the week. So that's kind of what kickstarted my story. Yeah. We were all diagnosed during COVID and we yes. all kind of have similar experiences and uh, other people that we might've touched base with that we know, right. um, have similar experiences of not being able to have a partner with them or having to yes. go through it alone. And so I kind of want to kick off there, uh, sure. because, you know, cause cancer can be lonely no matter COVID or not. But I think there is like a, a special traumatic part of the oh. cancer experience yes. when you're going through a pandemic, no matter what like, stage you're at. So I would love in talking about the collective experience, I'd love to start there for you. How, sure. It's going to be a simple question, but there's so much to unpack. How did it sure. feel to you like being diagnosed in the middle of a pandemic? Um, well, I was worried I wasn't going to make it through COVID. So when I heard that there was a large tumor on my kidney, I was completely floored and devastated. I thought it was a death sentence right away, immediately. Yeah. Um, and what was interesting is that I had no one to comfort me. And how do I call my husband and say, oh my gosh, someone told me I have a tumor and he, and he's not there. That would be a, a phone call or a text. So I was really confused and I didn't understand, but, um, a nurse came in and I was crying and she told me that her husband had had gone through kidney cancer and he was a doctor and that, um, <laughs> She said, honey, you will be able to live with one kidney. Don't worry about it. You'll just lose your kidney and that'll be all. What I didn't anticipate is being diagnosed with a rare subtype. And even though um, I do have a, we have a rare subtype, I was a little taken aback by it being dismissed as I'll just yes. lose my kidney. Because yes. it doesn't matter what subtype, it doesn't matter what stage, that is devastating news, period. Yes. And so for the listeners who may not, who may be listening to this the first time and not have listened to the other episodes, uh, the subtype that Tracy is talking about is comophobe renal cell carcinoma. We had both had that subtype, right. but yeah, it's, and it still gets dismissed, right? I remember Correct. Of so many, I, I won't, I can't say so many, but a few people say to me, it's like, well, at least you have two kidneys. And it's like, you know, I am oh. um, <laughs> at that time I was 37. I'm like, I don't want to have to live the rest of my life worrying about whether or not that kidney is going to crap out of me. And I'm going to have to go on dialysis earlier than yes. I ever would or go on dialysis. And I wouldn't never had the otherwise, right? Like it's, Correct. And, uh, and at the time, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to no, interrupt no, you. This and, is a conversation. And what we didn't know at the time when we were diagnosed is um, there was very little information about our rare yes. subtype. So there, we couldn't just Google what's your life expectancy? What's the reoccurrence rate? That data really wasn't available for us. So even being diagnosed at a 
earlier stage or even a later stage, I think we all felt the same, that we were so scared and confused. Yeah. And I think we still are, right? Like no matter matter your cancer, like there is that that anxiety that comes with scans, there's anxiety that comes with the rest of your life. And it's, it's frustrating when we're told that we need to be grateful. Um, And if we are to are to list all the reasons why we have this worry, it still ends up getting dismissed. So what are, and it's honestly true of many rare subtypes of kidney cancer, you know, our treatment before stage four is really just surgery. You know, it's not, my doctor wasn't willing to give me any type of preventative, you know, treatment afterwards because it wasn't really available to me. There, there isn't a good enough effectiveness rate. That is not the word, but <laughs> you know, well, it's I was going to mention enough. that there are a lot of drugs on the market now that are available to those that were diagnosed um, even at stage three and four, uh, I'm sorry, two and three that are offered immunotherapies. And we are, we weren't because a lot yes. of the, the drugs three years ago were not available even today. Like they're, they just weren't available to us. It were they weren't, it wasn't an option. Yeah, exactly. Which again, goes back to the anxiety. So let's talk, let's get right. into the anxiety of it, like that sure. collective experience. And I, and I talked about this to you behind the scenes, but just for the listeners, the reason why yes. I really want to talk about the collective cancer experience is that we tend to be siloed a lot. And I think sometimes, you know, survivors tend to internalize that some that themselves too and silo themselves when really we all have a very similar experience despite our cancer, despite our stage, we all have to worry about what our scans are going to say. We all worry about whether or not our cancer is going to come back. We all worry about whether or not we're going to get a second primary. And, you know, only 5% of cancer survivors research shows get help for cancer related anxiety, depression, and loneliness. So the majority of us are all going about this on our own. And so it's just really important for us to, as survivors to kind of connect at that base human level of, well, we're, we've went through a very traumatic experience. Cancer is traumatic, no matter the type of cancer you have. Um, and we need to, really and I want to say that, that I want to, I want to reiterate that. So everybody can hear, but I see that in patient support in support groups. And you are right. It does not matter the stage or the, the subtype it's so it's trauma. It's so traumatic when you get a diagnosis, regardless of the stage. Yeah. Cause like the thing with cancer, um, and it's with a lot of diseases, right. You don't know what's mm-hmm. happening in your body. Like, it's, you know, and with our cancer, I mean, kidney cancer in general, but you know, with our cancer, we wouldn't have symptoms until advanced stages. Right. I think the I, only that's reason, a good point. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the only reason why yeah. I felt my that I had that pain in my lower back, which went away after surgery, I think was because of the location of the tumor and how it like it pressed against my back. Right. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have never. And like the way it pressed, I guess, against my intestines or or however it may have been positioned, but that's the only reason why that, and maybe lack of appetite that I could attribute to something else, but like the blood in the urine, the correct. Yeah. Like I was looking at my labs prior to surgery and prior to diagnosis, the creatinine wasn't as, high, if you will, as it is now, like, yeah, I will. Oh, wow. So, 
in my experience, and I believe we've discussed this before um, previously, my, my symptoms were brushed off. Um, they weren't brushed off or set aside. I don't want to say that totally. Um, I think that it was more so that I kept going to a gynecologist because I was concerned about blood, you know, and every time I, I was getting reoccurrent UTIs and it would automatically blow up into a kidney infection. And so I had a lot of bleeding from fibroids. I have a genetic mutation called SDHB. And um, so that typically goes hand in hand with fibroids. And I don't know the statistics. You'll be able to talk about that, whether or not that's true with our subtype of cancer. If you, if you see a lot of patients in support with female patients in support with uterine fibroids, I know I suffered um, for many years with them. Um, so we thought that, that that was the issue. And so I had had a lot of procedures um, relating to an endium metrial ablation. And my gynecologist kept, couldn't figure out why they weren't really finding anything when all along it was probably really my kidney. I have polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, okay. And, you know, so I, and mostly the, the system mostly on my left, my left ovary. And so that's usually like, especially during period ovulation where I would feel pain. So I've had this, right. I had this persistent pain for a while. And okay. I went to my gyno. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm feeling this pain. It's my ovary. She's like, yeah, it's not your ovary. That's way too high. And Same. so I'm like, okay, then maybe it's, it has to be something else. And then fast forward to all, like to July and August and said, like, the ball started. You're telling my story. It's very similar. I was having pain and I was always attributing back to like female, but what was confusing is that it was back pain. It was in the back, the flank area, Yes, but I thought it was related to my female um, issues. Yeah, <laughs> so I, very similar. Experience and that's unfortunately, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. That's the thing we get into a flow and I just like want to, I know I forget sometimes, <laughs> um, but I was going to say, like, I think that, and this, this is a collective for half of the population. Right. But like when it oh, comes to being, true. you know, becomes yes. to being a person who identifies as a woman in healthcare, it's very yes. easy for us to dismiss our symptoms because we are more, more often than not dismissed in the first place. And so right. I think in terms of survivorship, right. Survivorship, the day you become diagnosed, you know, yes. you're, I think there is an, an, a magnified worry about what is going to happen now that you've been treated because right. it, are my symptoms going to be missed again? Um, or is my, if my cancer comes back, is it going to be missed again? Am I going to be dismissed because I'm a woman or because I'm overweight or because of this or because of that? Is it going to be, a great that, point. you know, they catch it at stage four and it goes again, it goes back to yeah. anxiety and whatnot. Um, but it's just something that we have to consider no matter, again, no matter the stage, no matter the type of cancer, you know, there are all these other levels. And layers. Correct. And no, and no matter what gender you are as well. So yes. um, I think we also have, um, we also have men that are, have been diagnosed. And so like, I think for me, just um, navigating through this journey, what has kept me focused is that I'm grateful it that I, I came down with COVID pneumonia, because if I would have never had gotten diagnosed with COVID, I probably would have never even found my cancer as early as it was found, even though it was at a later stage. Um, so I am grateful in a weird way for that. 
Yeah. No, that's it. Sense. You have to find you have to find joy in small things. And that's kind of how I've navigated through my journey to keep myself sane. Yeah. No, I don't think that's weird at all because yeah. it, okay. again, it's one of those, it's one of those diseases, right? Um, or conditions yes. or whatever you want to call it, where you know, if you, if you have symptoms, it's probably too late. So if like you, you get that yeah. kind of luck, if you will, quote unquote luck as it's put right. towards us, right. Um, you, you can't help. Like, I'm grateful for, you know, my PCP, she, for her due diligence, right. Otherwise yes. I would have, I would have never, you know, and going back, you, you had made, um, you had re reacted to what I said. So my creatinine is higher now because I'm more muscular than I was when I was diagnosed okay. and, you know, muscularity does impact your creatinine levels, which is why there are a lot of researchers who are saying the creatinine formula for kidney function is actually not a very accurate formula. And I could go off about that. I won't. Um, that's another, all, that's podcast number two. Yeah, that's like <laughs> number 6,000. Um, number 6,000. Yeah. But I, um, but like looking at my levels, I could definitely see the difference prior to my diagnosis and after, you, could, like, yes. you know, like creatinine is the only thing now that is a little bit higher. Everything else is normal range and perfect. And I look beautiful and it's great. Um, but you, if I didn't have, you, you definitely you, do. So do you, but I, I, I you know, so do you, but if I didn't have my PCP do her due diligence, if I wasn't, if I wasn't so into yeah. fitness, we probably would right. not have caught it like at all. And that's interesting. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so grateful for your journey and how that played out for you, because if, um, that was missed, right. Think about that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, it goes back to that, like collective, like, and we can't do the, what if things like as survivors, we can't, we should it, not. And I should yeah. take that back, but no, I think in your it mind, back. it's, it's a learning experience for me because I think I replay things in my head. Like, gosh, what if I did this? What if I did that? And something um, that Joel Stern, who is a board member on um, KCA's board, um, told me was that you should give your mind a break. Only allow yourself to, um, it, and, and this is really hard. You have to, you have to work really hard to get to this point. Um, yes. only allow your, yourself to think about things like that, you know, a certain amount of time during the day. And I've been, I've been trying his technique and, as much as possible. Um, and I think that that was really good advice it, and that's not going to work for everybody. You know, my journey, oh gosh, it's hard for me to keep up with my own journey. Like, so I, I am like, giving advice, but, you know, I think that, um, everybody's journey is a little different. What, you know, what that looks like and how they navigate through. I think it's, even though everybody's journey is different, I think some advice mm -hmm. is universal. Right. And like okay, you said, it, yeah. it's something that you work towards. And it's something I talk to like people about too, is that, you know, it's not the, the progress is not measured by whether or not you stopped having these conversations with yourself or you've stopped being self-deprecating or you stop going into these spirals because sometimes if you stop, it's not because you got over anything or you were able to heal. It's because you've compartmentalized and you just don't think about it anymore, right? Like you yes. just shove it yes. down. The progress is measured more by how quickly you now talk yourself back. How quickly you now right. recognize how your how to separate your logic from your emotion, how how much you are engaging in dialectical thinking and accepting that versus like making yourself feel guilty for having any other emotions 
other than this X emotion, right? Like it's not necessary right. because we're human. We are human. We are going to have these emotions. We can be grateful. I say it all, you know, I keep saying it over and over because to be grateful and worried and that's okay. Yes. It's, it's okay just- to feel, it's okay to feel grief. It's okay to go through um, that shock and those emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, so speaking of emotions, the other part of like the collective experience is managing not only your, your own, but the ones of your loved ones and the people taking care of you. And I just wanted to get kind of into your experience. What what was it like to have to be able, or rather not to have to be able, um, but rather having to kind of manage how other people reacted to your cancer and how you were dealing with it and, and, you know, your treatment and all that. Wow, that's a that's a really big question um, because I have a really big family, <laughs> and I know a lot of people that will be watching this have no idea. And I didn't mention this in the beginning, but I have, um, I am married. Um, my husband is absolutely amazing, um, and I have a great support system through him. But I have, we have six children, and we have five grandchildren. And we have his side of the family on the West Coast and then my side of the family here on the East Coast. So when you say, how did how did we manage um, that with family? That's hard because, right, we have such a big, big yeah. family and then age appropriate. All of our children are adult children. Um, over the eight, you know, over the age of 18. So I have I'm I'm a very. um blunt person. Um, open. I'm very open with my journey. Um, I made that decision from the beginning because, um, I know, I knew immediately that I didn't want anybody else to have to go through what I went through and, and not understand, um, where to go or what the future looked like. So, um, I told my children immediately and um, because they were adults, they were able to process their own emotions. I let them process their own emotions and supported them in any way I could because um, that's the type of parent I am. And then I left it up to them and respected them um, in the delivery of how they wanted to tell their children, especially with um, the fact that I had genetic testing so um, that was another level, which um, was a little hard. Of course, my mom and dad um, have been very supportive and they're strong people. So, um, yeah. And it was weird because it was during the pandemic. So I couldn't physically like hug anybody. I couldn't. Yeah. This was all done via either Zoom or a text message. So I don't, I mean, and, and again, I'm speaking about my journey and it may not look like anybody else's and, and you are very aware, you know, it was so hard and confusing. Everybody was afraid of dying from COVID. So then when you're like, oh, I've got cancer, it was, it was like a double whammy. It was very weird, a weird time. And I'm grateful that I had a strong family to be able to cope with me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I really just had my partner, Sam and my son here. So I could like everything telling anyone else, it was all like via phone, all, all via that, like no one was able to come. Like it took me about two years before I was able to go back home and actually see my family. Um, I'm so sorry. That was, that was such a hard time for all of us. I know it was. Yeah. And I can validate that. And you were such a strong support system to me. 
Um, and when I learned uh, difficult news and I was scared of dying, um, I went to I went to you and to yeah. um, uh, several other ladies when I thought it was too hard information to share right then with my partner or with my mom or dad or even my brother, you know, because yeah. sometimes when we get information, we don't have the full picture. We yes. may get a scan report that's, you know, a radiology uh, report and we'll refresh the my chart and read it and what we are reading sounds really bad especially if you google it so then your natural reaction is to go to your partner and say oh my gosh i think this is happening right and then mm -hmm. you have to wait to speak to your oncologist and that looks very different for people sometimes i'm with a big center i'm with georgetown lombardi cancer center and nih so i get results and meet with my doctor within one hour, but it doesn't look like that for everybody. Some people have to wait a week or two before they can even go in and speak with their oncologist. Yeah. I'm one of those people. Um, I, oh, I don't get I my results. I, and every time like you and the ladies talk about getting oh results gosh. right away, I'm like, why? why am I the only one? But I think like, you're right. Like we sit there. It's all we, different for everybody. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, there's no one standard of care. There's no one standard there's not. Of practice, but it, having no. those people that you can turn to, I think is something important across yes. the spectrum of cancer Correct. and cancer survivorship is that, and sometimes it doesn't need to be like a Facebook support group. Although those are very like, excellent places for support for people but sometimes it's just having like your close you know little group of of uh, survivor Correct. friends who could like talk yes. you down and be like okay let's think of other things let's 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 take a breath for a second let's so like, think of other questions that you have to answer yeah. doctor and stuff um so i'm not sure if the listeners under uh know our full story i don't i don't I'm not sure if they do, if you've talked about it in your previous podcast, but um, I, we have a group of, including myself, um, of six women who are very close. And so they are the first ones that know about my diagnosis before my partner, before my husband, before my family. Um, and they are my trusted people, my people that I go to for comfort and support and even advice. Yeah. Um, because they are other cancer survivors and warriors. And um, to me, that is invaluable because that you guys get me like nobody else, nobody else. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, yeah, I've talked a little bit about it, but uh, okay, you know, good. you know, so, and thank you for, you know, saying that. Cause sometimes even though I say, Hey, we have to explain yeah. stuff. I get into okay. the habit of, Oh, everyone <laughs> knows what's going on in my brain. <laughs> Um, it yeah. feels like I'm talking to family right now. So yeah. I apologize. <laughs> no, and we haven't Never. met in person yet. I think, I think that was the benefit of having yeah. cancer. It sounds weird to call it a benefit, but there was like, that was kind of the benefit right? of having cancer yeah. during COVID is that we, we were forced to make connections yes. online and forced to yes. find people online. And we were able to like strengthen that relationship over the years, even though we've never met in person, but I just, I wanted to talk about other things that's, that is collective. I think sure. one thing that we talked about, um, is also intimacy and relationships. And I know that's yes. a subject that you've, um, wanted to talk about too, because it doesn't get talked a lot about enough. I did. There is an episode. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, we do have an episode on intimacy and relationships. So go check that out. But 
more broadly, yeah. I, you know, it is an experience across cancers, across stages, across treatment, um, that just being able to connect with your partner. I know for myself, and, and if he listens to this, it might be the first time he hears it. So I'm sorry, Sam, but like, I know when <laughs> same I with was, Adam, he's going to yeah. hear it in, in, for the it's first like, time too. Oh, uh, the public is going to hear it before. Sorry, yeah. sorry, grumpy. <laughs> yeah. My, my, I, my children I, are blushing. Yeah, you know what? That's okay. Right. Like, yeah, it's okay. You got to talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. There's a TLC song. There's a TLC song (laughs) that talks about it. So it's okay to talk about things. Exactly. But I, I know when I was like recovering and like towards my end of like the, the first part of recovery, right. Where like your stitches are still healing and you can't move that much. Yes. Where I know I felt incredibly ugly and like, he Mm. didn't really touch me and like it was something I was craving and I didn't know how to ask him for that and I think it's something we did have a blowout about um at some point and that's normal yeah it's completely normal but totally normal you know when we talk about intimacy it's always in like the context of like prolonged treatment but it's right. something that is still effective, even if, you know, it's just a surgery you had and you're recovering, Correct. you know? So I would love to, you know, what about you? Sure, I, I would love to talk about it. It's something I wanted to talk about for a while because I have not seen or heard anybody else talk about intimacy issues. And let's face it, both you and I are pretty young. Um, we are pretty young for being diagnosed with kidney cancer. Um, and so Yeah. What you don't expect, especially as a mom, I had like incontinence issues. I had incontinence issues after I had four children. Uh, My last set were twins. So it wasn't to the degree and the level after my, um, my multiple surgeries. So I didn't just have a full nephrectomy. Um, After my full nephrectomy, I developed incisional hernias. And Mm. so then I had to have two of those repaired. And then I went on to a, um, a hysterectomy. So during that time, um, yes, there were a lot of, a lot of times when poor Adam, I'm sure he felt like, I mean, my, your energy is just so low, right? Your energy is low. You're exhausted. Even when you're given the green light to be intimate again, sometimes you just aren't ready for various reasons. You feel ugly. I gained so much weight because I was down for so long after surgery, after surgery, And, um, so I felt disgusting and ugly. It wasn't anything against him, but you know, we were at times feeling like, gosh, you know, the spark in our marriage, what happened? (laughs) And it wasn't a lack of love. It was just like, we were used to being this healthy young couple who were very intimate. And now we find ourselves, um, in this weird place. And then what I never expected is to have, um, incontinence issues, um, way worse than I did after I had my children. So navigating through that, the way, um, Adam and I have gotten through this is to, is communication. I mean, it just took it and it's embarrassing, right? Sometimes it's embarrassing to talk about those things, but if you don't, it only makes it worse. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and I can't speak for everybody's relationship. This is my journey and your journey, but, um, I have a wonderfully supportive, um, partner. So I'm very grateful for that, but that's how we were able to overcome that is just to be completely open and honest and to talk about it, talk about it out loud. 
I think communication is key no matter what your journey is though. And I think that is one thing when I look back, not to do the what if or regret, because I try not to have regrets, right? I made decisions and decisions and you make them and you go. Um, But I would say that's one thing I regret about my first cancer treatment is not, not being as communicative, but I also think, and this is similar for a lot of cancer survivors I've spoken to, if you don't even know how to process what you're experiencing, you can't process it with your partner. Like you can't process Correct. it with the people you love. Like for me, I didn't have right. incontinence. Um, I, as gross as it is, I did have bowel issues. Right. And so I didn't mention that part, but I had bowel issues as well. I had the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. And I was actually the other night, um, I was messing around with Kelly because he, I was, I, tell- <laughs> well, I was telling, I had a C-section. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was, because the thing is, I was having, I had a C-section. with you right now so what? much and it feels like, look at how I'm, we're laughing about this and it yeah. feels good to identify with somebody because I never talk about this with anyone and it feels good. Somebody is going through this and I know I, I would hate for anybody to go through it, but the fact that somebody else is, it's like a relief that I'm not alone because yes. you, you have bowel problems in ways you can't imagine. And yes. so when I'm in my forties and your husband has to help you with an enema, that's very personal, very different yeah. than, than sex. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. No, yeah. absolutely. I was saying mm-hmm. like I was messing with Kelly because I had a C-section and I was like, I could not, I'm, I'm going to be gross, but it's like, I could not poop straight since I had you. <laughs> they had to put it back in. And then when I had the nephorectomy, like, yes, it was robotic, but they still did something there. That, like, <laughs> they do. It does. It, it does something where it's like, I, like, I, I, I plugged, I love that you said that. <laughs> my one of my nephrectomy. <laughs> my scan after my f- nephrectomy, and I'm not a doctor by any means, so forgive me. But it described in detail how my <laughs> intestines had moved. Oh wow! And settled <laughs> after yeah. I had my tumor and kidney removed. Yes, so, that's so hilarious. <laughs> yeah, no, like the first one, the first scan, like year scan after the um, the surgery, my doctor's yeah. like, yeah, your spleen and intestines are just making like they they found a place for rent, like for rent, and they're just making their way in there. And it's like yeah. no wonder I have like certain feelings on that side because you know things are shifting. But you're right, we don't like especially yeah. as women, like we don't talk very bluntly about those, no. those things. It's, it's mostly like, oh yeah, the side effects, I feel <clears> tired. <throat> it's like, no, it's not just feeling tired. It's not feeling sore. It's also like, yes. well, what is the rest of my life looking like? Oh, bowel yeah. problems for the rest of my life. Like having to be yeah. careful, like when I, you know, or, or urinary issues, I've had like three UTIs Same. since I've, like, I hadn't had UTIs before, but after um, I had my kidney, my left kidney removed, all of a sudden now, like, yes. I have more UTIs. I'm more prone Same. to them. And it's just, those are yeah. things that we have to deal with that we don't talk about, right? Like, it's just, right. it's, not, it's not something that is often discussed. That is true. Very, very true. 
So I, I feel better. <laughs> I feel better just talking about it openly today. So thank you. Good. I mean, and that's what we want, right? Like we want people yeah. to listen to this, no matter where they are in their cancer journey to be like, oh, I am not the only one who feels this way. Because sometimes you can turn to people you don't know and say, hey, this is an yes. experience I'm having. And the only people who like might comment on that post are people who have not had that experience. So you feel even more so alone and it's like I want to make sure people listening to this are like okay I couldn't find you know I couldn't find help or or relate to people here but now I found two people who maybe I could reach out to to talk exactly more about and and they they will realize that it's totally normal to go through those uh yeah those things that you're not alone <laughs> Yeah. And it feels very lonely, lonely sometimes, you know, I don't want to call up my mom and talk about my intimacy, my, my almost 80 year old mom and talk about my intimacy, intimacy issues, even though she's, I'm very close to her because that's yeah. just awkward and weird. So then I wouldn't go to my friends and talk about that, you know, at my yeah. age, because they're not experiencing it. And it's kind of embarrassing. It's an embarrassing thing. So, but you know what? I'm glad we're breaking that stigma and it's yeah. okay to talk about hard things. Yeah. It, yeah. We all have our people that we can talk to, right? Like we can yes. talk to survivors about things that we can't talk to our partners and friends about because they have an insight into that experience, right? I just, I want right. us to stop being so siloed about it, right? I want us to stop, you know, worrying about well we have to go here we have to go to these people especially when we might have multiple cancer experiences right speaking about being yes. lonely I you know I've met two-time cancer survivors since being a becoming one but it's usually often of the same cancer very rarely do I meet people who are two-time cancer survivors or two right. different cancers so so that makes it even lonely to be like okay Oh, do I go to the thyroid cancer support group for this? Or do I go to the kidney cancer support group for this? Who's going to- That's not something that? I thought about. And that, yeah. that just, wow, that really, um, I'm so sorry. And I, it's okay. Like I've, I find ways to, um, I find ways to deal with it, but I think, I think it's something that, you know, again, going back to the siloed, um, even when you're a two-time cancer survivor of different cancers, you still end up falling into that trap of, I have to go here or there because you don't right. really have a place where it's both, right. Yeah. Or where it's multiple right. places where there's this like one, one area for you. Like, it's like, you know, you want to just talk to someone, maybe not about what your particular cancer did to you or right. what side effects you have related to your cancer, yet that particular cancer, maybe you just want to talk to someone about, again, intimacy issues. Like, Hey, mm -hmm. I I'm feeling really ugly today. Like I, yeah. you know, I have this scar on me. I don't like looking at yeah. it. Like I'm about to cry. Just even mentioning it. Like, I don't like looking right. at the scar on my neck. I understand I don't like looking at the scars on my stomach. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I got, I got skin removal surgery, not because of only because I had the kidney cancer scars and the way it was sewn up, but because I did mm -hmm. lose over a hundred 120 pounds and I just I wanted to tell you were ready for up. it yeah yeah but I still didn't look at like looking at my stomach I still don't like looking at this I still find yeah. ways to hide my body when I do get intimate with Sam he might not realize it because he's into it but I know I'm conscious of certain parts of my body where Me I'm too. Like, I, I am to, too I, I want to hide it or like can I cover this or 
you know? I was, um, prior to my da- uh, uh, cancer diagnosis, I was a very extroverted person. Let's just say that. So I was not ashamed of my body. I was a ballerina. I was a dancer. Um, not that type of dancer, guys. <laughs> um, but let me just no say. No shame if you were. No shame. There's no shame in anything. No I'm not shame. shaming anybody. But um, my whole point is I was never afraid. Um, and I think that the human body is a beautiful thing. My mom is an artist. My brother is an artist. And so um, naked portraits are something that I have all over my house. And so for me to go from th- um, being that open and then, you know, having so many surgeries and my stomach, I, something that always uh, was always told, oh, you don't have any stretch marks. You don't have any stretch marks. Well, it doesn't matter if I have stretch marks. I have railroad tracks now <laughs> and that's okay. They're my battle scars, you know, but I am, I do get very, very, very self-conscious. I don't think I would even wear a bikini, um, you know, and I live on the water. I live mm-hmm. on the water and I haven't showed my stomach to anyone, to anyone. So I can feel you on that a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the thing is when I was, you know, 30 pounds lighter, when I was first, you know, at my first diagnosis and I was first starting my bodybuilding journey, you know, I did, I did some, I did wear just my sports bra, but very rarely, very rarely did I do that. Like I did it for one photo shoot because it was like, okay, it's close to a year later. I want to market like, if this is right. my first bodybuilding show that I'm going to be doing that year. We whatever. are so hard on ourselves. But we really are because that, I think you're was, gorgeous. Thank you. And you're gorgeous. Too, I but do. Like, I mean, you give point. me so much inspiration and hope. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw you um, on stage performing and you were mm-hmm. um, representing the kidney cancer community in your outfit, that, that brought tears to me and a lot of people. And we've oh. really appreciated that you represented us. And I thought you were the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen. So it's so funny. I think we tend to be really hard on ourselves unfairly. Oh, for sure. We're our worst, like our own worst critic for sure. But to your point, you know, even though I did it that one time, I I still made sure I had like a tank top on, like I still into this day. It's like, if I don't wear short shorts and a crop top, it's like, if I wear short shorts, I'm wearing a pump cover. If I'm wearing leggings, (laughs) maybe my crop top comes like to like here, it's not usually really yeah. short. Like it's, there's still that, like that shame I feel. And I think that's something, um, and this is, you know, this is obviously a podcast, particularly for kidney cancer survivors, but I want people, a lot of survivors to take, you know, if maybe they're stumble on it and they're not a kidney cancer survivor, I want you to take something away. But I think that's something that we don't talk about within our community is, is like our physical perceptions of ourselves after yes. the surgery. Like there's such this focus on, well, be happy that you're still alive and you only have to take out your kidney that right. it's like, you know, it's supposed to be that is one and done, right? Like that's right. kind of what we get put into. And that's, we internalize. That is very right? true. We end up. That is so true. It. That it's- is true. We're just told to get kind of like, yeah, that's so interesting that you brought that up. And I'm glad you did actually, because that is, a, that is very true. But, you know, I always feel like this tinge of worry whenever I mention things like this, because I don't want people to think that I have any bitterness towards people who carry that kind of viewpoint of like, well, it is one and done, I should be grateful. But I think that when we internalize those messages and like perpetuate those messages, we don't leave space for people who are are having a harder time because statistics show. And again, this, you know, I talk about this in another episode with a, with our guest, um, 
but you know, statistics show that at least like 75, 80%, something like that of cancer survivors are, do experience cancer related anxiety, depression, yes. and loneliness. And then when you see only five actually get help and knowing that, you know, both community-based and larger hospital systems don't have the mental health resources, you know, saying, you know, right. having this message of, well, I'm so happy to be alive without acknowledging yeah. that there's another side to that that also needs to be given voice and comforted it just it makes it harder for us to heal and you know being honest about these things it doesn't say yes. that being grateful or having gratitude is a bad thing and that we should we shouldn't focus on that but that and for the, the whole early person years Correct. And especially for um, those that are diagnosed with earlier stage, even all the way through stage three, that aren't in palliative or hospice care, we don't get the support. I, at least I wasn't offered any type of therapy. Any, I mean, I was told on a chalkboard that I had cancer. And it's just kind of been like, I do, I do, where my facilities that I'm in, are absolutely amazing and they're compassionate. My facilities that I'm at currently, I'm, I'm referencing when I first started my journey almost three years ago. Um, yeah, the way it was delivered was like kind of harsh. And then yeah. that was it. I was left to go on my own and figure it out. And nobody even mentioned therapy or yeah. joining a group or, you know, finding a girlfriend or a partner that you could, that you trusted, you know, and that was safe for you to talk to nothing. Yeah. So that was hard. That, that was hard. And that was a learning process as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's the same. Like, it's the same for me. It, a lot of it was just me doing my own research, me trying to find people, me. Yes, and me I still too. to this day do my own research because I don't necessarily have a place to turn other than you ladies. And I was going to say, my I research know. is sending it to you ladies yeah. and saying, what do you guys think? What should I yeah. do? <laughs> but, like, but, but I think the thing is like, they're, you know, as much as we love each other and we're so close, yes. as much as I love my other survivor friends who I talk to yes. Instagram, there's but so much support we can give each other because we're not yes. doctors, right? Like, Correct. Correct. I'll, 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 let me rephrase. There are some of us who are doctors. There are some of us who are therapists, but in that's our group, correct too. But in <laughs> our group, yeah. But in yes, our group, I know that's not mean. the case, right? Like I might have right. more experience with mental health advocacy because of my background as a journalist. So I might have yes. a little more insight, but even still, it's not necessarily, it wouldn't be necessarily fair to me to like rely on you to give me an objective point of view when you're going right. through a similar experience. So right. having having more resources in our in our community centers and in our large hospital systems and at our doctors is an important way for us to be able to heal. So we're not having these conversations on a podcast, yes. right? Or rather yes. that we're not breaking the mold and having conversations that are ha like that we have in whispers or in shadows. Mm -hmm. Well, for an example, also talking about um, mental health, I did not know for a very long time that I could even request medication to help me through scans because the level of anxiety when you go through a tube, such as an, a closed arm MRI, um, is astronomical, especially for somebody who deals with anxiety issues, right? 
Um, it's I I've never been claustrophobic. I grew up on the water. I boat every every day I can since I was a little girl. So I've been in very closed environments and it's never bothered me until I um, was diagnosed with cancer and I had my first closed MRI. That shocked me. I had a panic attack. I've never had panic attacks in my life. I didn't even recognize it as a panic attack. No one yeah. prepped me or warned me. Um, so it was very um, sobering experience having to navigate that through that on my own. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a, that goes to another point about the collective cancer experience. So even though I don't particularly have an anxiety around MRIs, um, I do have anxiety around a same technician okay. doing my scans. So I don't know if I told you late, I think I did, but I have to, you know, at the end of um, November, I have to go for a whole body scan because my levels are okay. still detectable. My thyroid, like thyroglobin levels are still detectable. And okay. so we need to rule out that there's not cancer in my body. So I'm, I don't know if I'm actually cancer free, but I'm going to the same location. I go to every time that I've gone okay. since I've had my first diagnosis. And there's always, it's, it, there's always this anxiety in me that I'll get the same person because he, um, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't right. do anything wrong at all. But my body, my brain associates him with cancer. Like he was the one who did my scan I understand. for my thyroid. I and like the wow. minute I saw him, I'm like, yep, it's cancer. Like the universe is sending yeah. me a message yeah. and it turned out to be cancer, right? I'm um, not to right. say I get, you know, you believe in the universe or not. I um, understand. I get that way when I go to my local ER. I just, um, I'm at the tail end of pneumonia. I, I'm, I was battling pneumonia and hospitalized, I think two weeks ago, we had to actually reschedule this podcast because of it. And so when um, my husband, Adam had to call 911 because I couldn't breathe, um, all of a sudden it was like, back there, right back to the first day I was diagnosed. And when we pulled into the ER, I was like having a panic attack. And the um, the fire department was like, ma'am, you just had to calm down, calm down. I'm like, no, but you don't understand. I have cancer. Like that was the first thing that came out of my mind because not that I wasn't able to breathe. <laughs> well, yeah. I was able to breathe. I was having shortness of breath yeah, and pain yeah. in my chest. So they weren't sure what was going on. And I, uh, but, but the, my mind not having a heart attack, my mind went to having cancer, yeah. which is, it, it shocked me again, but yeah, the trauma but, again is very real. Yeah. It's very real. And sometimes doesn't come out until you have those triggering moments. And again, it's something mm -hmm. that I think when we talk about cancer, we don't talk often enough about is just all those triggering moments from being told you have cancer. Cause on it, like I said, I always worry about, is he going to be the one? And like, if I see him, it's just the anxiety is through the roof and it shouldn't be, um, I know. but it just, it just is. I went to, when I went to MD Anderson for a second opinion, I mean, at that point I already had my thyroidectomy. There's nothing else they could do other than give me like radioactive <laughs> iodine. Yeah. But I like <laughs> just sitting there, like tapping my foot. Oh, almost I know. 
I, I get the you. same way. I get so nervous. I am yeah. every, anytime I go to a doctor's appointment, it doesn't even matter what it's for. I was getting my glasses. I was getting my eyes checked, getting new glasses and I'm, you know, checking for glaucoma. And I was like, Hey, did you know I, I have a history of cancer and I'm not really, I'm stable, but I don't know that I'm cancer free. I've got, you know, I'm telling him my story and just being in the, you know, in that environment, in that setting, it just sparked something within me. I, you know, I'm glad we had this conversation because I just think it's really important to like for us to, as we move forward in our advocacy to like start centering the, like the collective experience. I know I keep using that phrase, but that really is what it is. It's like, you know, we have this experience, like this experience that unites us. It's just the tactical parts of it, the the logistical parts of it, right? The fact, like the facts of it may be different, right? Like you were saying, you were stage three, I believe I was stage one, Correct. like, you know, you, but even though we, those are different stages, we still have that trauma that we understand. We still have the fact that we both went, you know, went through it during COVID and we couldn't be near our families or, right. you know, Sam didn't come with me when I did my MRI or yeah. they wouldn't let him in. It had a big sign. Only they wouldn't let Adam in let- as well during yeah. my surgery. So not only did I go through COVID alone, I also went through my kidney cancer, um, my full nephrectomy totally alone. Um, he wasn't allowed to visit me at all. Yeah. I luckily, so I understand I, that. Yeah, yeah. Luckily Sam was able to come visit me and every, like he came with me. Luckily okay. I had that, but that's all I had. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, no, no one could fly down to see me or anything like that. But I think my whole point yeah. is like from that to like the intimacy issues to right. our, our love hate relationship with our bowels and, and, and other, you know, female parts and just reproductive parts. That's the collective. Yeah. That's the collective. And I hope that anyone listening, you know, reach out to us, reach out to other people, you know, and you know, start the conversations. I think that, um, my takeaway is no matter what subtype you are, no matter what stage you have been diagnosed, whether you have, uh, a great support system um, in a partner. I would say that the collective um, experience that we were talking about, you know, during the whole, the whole last hour, um, is really important because um, these are things. Even with a supportive partner, I do, I can't really. I wasn't able to openly talk about. Yeah. So finding finding your person. And that was you. And we had never even met. So you're not my sister. We weren't related. Is that this podcast is really amazing because I have not um, seen anything like it. And I appreciate it because it can connect everybody collectively um, in ways that you might not have thought about, right? Dealing with a journey. So I appreciate you and I thank you. And I feel like you're my sister and we've never met, but, um, and, and I also appreciate the kidney cancer association for putting on this podcast as well. So thank you. Well, no, thank you. And I, I think of you as a sister too. And I, you know, trauma bonds you like there is enough research to show that trauma, (laughs) trauma bonding is a thing, but I'm glad I was able to bond with you just, you know, again, you know, we, even if we have different leanings, different outlooks, we still yeah. have an experience we could bond over. And it's about like exactly you know, censoring the survivorship experience. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, brought to you by the Kidney Cancer Association. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get episodes weekly. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you left a review. It really helps others find us. Thanks again for listening. For more information about kidney cancer, visit the Kidney Cancer Association online at kidneycancer.org.